0: Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. From Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship with, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us and the one, who, the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches, riches of God's grace that he has lavished upon us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. You guys can be seated. How many believe that? No, I mean it. How many are going to have walked out, because we've read that passage several times over the last several weeks, yeah? Yeah. Um, It doesn't matter if it's true if you don't stand in the reality of it, at least in terms of you, how you walk into a business meeting, how you engage with your neighbor, how you talk with your roommate, how you live out your marriage, how you manage the challenges of the financial crisis that you personally might be in. Do you really believe, as Darren was preaching last week, that you are an adopted son, daughter of God and live in the reality of that? Because it doesn't matter if it's true if you don't. Stand in that. That's what faith means, right? And and to, to think through uh, how that works. And and that's one of the reasons I think why Paul is so clear on, this is really, really hard in the middle of everyday ordinary life to, to get our hands and hearts around, yeah? Because you're getting pummeled, we are getting pummeled with all kinds of other messages that are saying all kinds of other things that we are are tempted to... To, to hedge our bets. We're, we're tempted to kind of, well, just in case the adoption thing doesn't work out, I've got a fallback position, right? Just in case um, this, this doesn't kind of work out I- I- in terms of where God's going with this. And the, of course, the truth is we know there is no fallback position, uh, but, but we are, are pummeled with all kinds of things that say to us all kinds of things that undermine our, our, our identity. Uh, Lent, uh, second, first Sunday in Lent uh, today. Uh, Lent, 40 days, uh, echoing the 40 days of Jesus in the, in the desert. It might not surprise you to know that those 40 days for Jesus in the desert were about this very thing, sealing his grip on his identity. He heard the voice from the heavens, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit drives him out into the desert to be tested by the devil so that sealed into his soul, if I can use that language respectfully, is the voice that he has heard. Because life is going to get pretty messy for him in the next several years. And a lot of voices are going to be saying things to him as to you. So this Lenten fast, this Lenten season that we have been centering around this passage of Scripture, and it'll start to pick up steam here as we we go along, but right now it's really critical because if we get this right, if we let this desert season burn out of us the lies we have believed, And seal into us the truth that we have heard, everything changes. Everything changes. Uh, Paul is aware that it's not enough to hear that. It's not enough to have that read over us. It's not enough even to memorize it. It's got to move from head to heart, and that is a work of the Spirit. And so he transitions out of that verse, out of that paragraph with these words. Verse 15 of Ephesians 1, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above rule, authority, power, dominion, every name that is invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the sake of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is another one of those moments where I know the meaning of every one of the words I'm speaking, but I have not much of a clue of what is being said here. It is... It is, it is massive, right? It's Mount Everest. We're hanging off Half Dome this morning uh, in, this, in this text. And uh, I want you to listen carefully because at the end, I'm going to ask you to pray this over each other. This is a prayer. It's not intended to be a theological discourse. It's intended to be a prayer. And so we're going to land with you praying over folks around you, because I think in this day and age, we need this revelation more than perhaps we have ever needed it before. I'm certain that hundreds of preachers over the last thousands of years have said exactly what I just said, but I think it's true. I think every generation, every moment has to recover a sense of what is true about them And stand in that moment. So he begins with this uh, celebration of who they are. Ever since, you'll notice the two markers that they're starting to get it. Your faith in Christ, which has resulted in what? Your love for God's people. That's how it works. You stand in a certain kind of reality, and all of a sudden, your orientation to everybody around you starts to change. In fact, John is going to say, if that doesn't happen, you haven't stood in that reality yet. If 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 love is not the marker of your believing, you're you're still believing the wrong stuff. You know, how can you say you love God and don't love your brothers and sisters? So, you see, and this is why. By the way, notice how the enemy over these last two and a half years has worked very very hard to make whether you agree with me politically or agree with me in terms of whatever authority you want to believe on face masks and vaccines and everything. We've used and no no no. Paul says your faith in Christ does not generate an accuracy of, of belief about other people. it generates in love for other people. That's the proof. That's the proof. right? In fact, all of those other things, the enemy will use them to wedge us apart from one another. Yeah. Has, has anybody seen that happen? And Paul says, mm-mm, mm-mm. What we're looking for, more than anything else, is faith? That, is, that lives out loud in love for one another. And so I've not stopped giving thanks for you, uh, remembering you my prayers. This little phrase, it, it's not my sermon, but I think it's appropriate for me to say. Early days, I pastored uh, for, for a lot of years. and early days, I used to spend a lot of time in prayer, praying about the people in my church. Um, praying correction, direction, all kinds of stuff. Lord, because I had a list of folks that I needed to get straightened out. You know what I'm saying? And nobody better, because I just knew. I just knew. Um, So I was very specific, very detailed in my prayers. Um, It it, it was, I have no assurance that he wrote anything down when I was talking. but. And then one day, as I was waiting before the Lord, I heard him say, I don't need you to accuse my children before me. I have somebody in the universe assigned to that role, and it's not you. And I don't need you playing on his side. Your job is to pray for my people and to bless them. Change my heart towards the people in my congregation. Does, Does that make sense? Uh, and, and so the invitation for Paul here, from Paul here, is for us to become people of blessing. Not people of, Lord, f- straighten him up and, and, and teach him to fly right, but, Lord, bless him. Bless even those who I have regarded as my enemies. That's really annoying. But if you don't get good at blessing your enemies, you won't get good at being the image of God. Do you see where he's going? right? So when, he, when we lean into this, he invites us into this uh, startling reality. I keep asking, notice the language there. This is not a one and done. This is a continuing to press in. I keep on asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the Spirit, you hear the Trinity echoed in that phrase, that he might give you the Spirit of wisdom and revelation, wisdom and revelation. Wisdom here, uh, Paul, remember, is a trained rabbi, so wisdom for him is not some uh, esoteric uh, uh, knowledge. Wisdom is defined by Old Testament wisdom literature as as the knowledge you need to get through the day. It's very practical. It's very uh, uh, real. It's kind of boots on the ground. What do you need to do to make life work? It's about being clever. It's about being strategic. Uh, And Paul says the kind of wisdom we need for this season that we're living in is not something you're going to learn in school or something you're going to learn even in the school of hard knocks. The situation we are dealing with today, you need a spirit of wisdom. You need something from God that will enable you on a very practical, there's nobody more practical than somebody who is heavenly-minded. We've heard the language, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. Friends, we are long past the day when earthly good flows from anything other than people who are heavenly-minded. That's what we're called to be. You'll, and, and you'll see how he ties this in at the back end of this of, of this prayer. So a, a spirit of wisdom, but then you also need a spirit of revelation. There are things going on in the world in which you live which if you do not have the spirit of revelation, you will completely miss. You will be oblivious to it. You will be like Elijah's, uh, Elijah or Elisha? Elijah, Elisha, one of those two guys, uh, <laughs> whose servant cannot see the angel armies of the Lord encamped around the enemies. You will, you will not, you will only see flesh and blood. You will only hear you will only see, you will only, have, unless you have a spirit of revelation, unless your eyes are open, he's going to talk about the eyes of your heart being open to see what is deeply true. If we could see the angelic presences in this space this morning, it would encourage our hearts. Every one of you, your angel, and you have one, is here with you. just need you to sit with that. So I'm saying the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him. Angels, when they show up, don't come from someplace. They just appear. What happens? They step through the space-time continuum and become present in a visible fashion to somebody who's stuck in the space-time continuum. So you need a spirit of wisdom, yes. boots on the ground how to make life work. But you also need a spirit of revelation because there's stuff going on, and if you're not if you don't have that, you're going to be going after the wrong stuff. You're going to miss the point. So a spirit of revelation, why? So that you can know him better. This isn't so you can be a success. This is so you can be even useful, not as the first priority. The first thing, for 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 John, for Jesus, for Paul here in this passage, I want to know him. I want to know him more. I want to know him better, that you may know. Him. And of course, this is not the head knowledge. This is the existential, sh- soul shaping reality. Jesus says, "What is eternal life? It's to know the Father." It's to know the Father. It's not about going to heaven. It's about knowing the Father. I mean, here we stand, and we've already prayed it this morning, and i prayed it with you. More, Lord. What's he saying to us? More, Bill. You want more of me? Cool. I want more of you. You have no capacity for more of me until I get more of you. You want to fit the more of me into the tiny little pocket of you that you've given me so far? really? I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know the fellowship, Paul says, of your sufferings. That's what Lent is about. So that I can experience and share in the celebration of your resurrection. Do we really want to know the full extent? This is why Paul is saying you need a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowing of Him. Why? Why? Well, I want your eyes to be enlightened so that you can know the hope to which you are called. The hope to which you are called. This invitation. And please notice, prayer, prayer is how Paul is getting this done. This isn't about teaching things. This isn't about taking notes. It's not about watching the PowerPoint slides march their way across your boredom. This is about a work of the Spirit that can only be accomplished in that way Otherwise, we are going to be tempted, are we not, to distraction and we are going to forget the hope of our calling. We're going to forget that this, every one of us, has a green card. We are not citizens of this world. Our passport reads kingdom of heaven, our birth certificate reads son, daughter of God. Just ima- eye has not seen, ear has not heard, it hasn't even entered into the imagination of human beings what God has in store, and He just says, "I want, I want you to keep that tiny little flame of hope. You're going to need it in the dark. It's not hope for an outcome. It's hope in the Lord that you might know the hope of His calling, the hope." to which he has called you, the riches, and this is the one that I cannot get my head around, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, the riches of his inheritance, the thing that Jesus inherits is you. Can you dig it? I can't. I, I cannot get my head around that. He looks at me. He looks at you. He looks at us. And his heart begins to pound. His, his, his face lights up with the wonder of the glorious inheritance that he will receive from the Father in the church, in you. We started off this conversation by asking the question, why church? Why, why the church exists at all? noun, and then verb, why church? Why do we do this? Because you, brothers and sisters, it's hard when you look around, isn't it, to imagine what God has got in store, not for you, for his son. You are the gift God is giving to his son. You are his glorious inheritance. You see what I mean? I know all the meanings of all of those words, having a clue how this works. I, I, my heart is not big enough for this; it's just not. And and I, I, I that I, Lord, please, I want to I want to get some glimpse of this. I want to get some awareness of this. And He says that you might experientially know the incomparable great power that is already at work for those of us who believe. We tend, and I mean, God has been so gracious to us here at the church. People have been healed in the middle of worship. Nobody's prayed for them. They're just in the space, right? That's not what worship, by the way, is for. Worship is is so that God has a good day, not you. Do you know? It's like you walk out of here saying, great worship. How, how would you know? It's, it's actually not for you at all. Do, do, do you know? And can I just pet peeve for a minute? It starts at 9 or 10. It's not when you get here. Okay. Okay. Um, I say that having led worship for 25 years. So I, I, I feel I can say that. Um, if you love, if you love. And the reason is this, this is so critical for us is, is, is that we, we, have, we have just begun to taste the incredibly great power that is at work in us. And, and can I be honest? It's not about healing people. May more be healed. It's not about delivering people from various addictions. You know, that's easy. You know what's hard? Making you a saint. That's hard. That's raising the dead. <laughs> Healing broken bones, nothing to it. For God? Seriously? I mean, uh, here he is, the guy let down through the roof. Remember the story? A paralytic. And Jesus says to him, the single hardest thing that will, he will ever say to anybody, your sins be forgiven you. And, of course, the rumor, how can he forgive sins? Jesus is aware of this, and so he uses this classic rabbinic argument. If the lesser is true, then the greater must also be true. He says, so that you may know that I, the Son of Man, have power on earth to forgive sins, he turns to the paralytic and says, take up your bed and walk. That's easy. It's easy to do. Not easy to say because people are going to know right away. Either you do it or you don't, right? That's easy for the Son of Man to accomplish. You know what's really hard? thats going to take him right to the edge of his life and beyond? Your sins be forgiven you. So when he prays that this mighty power is at work in us, this supernatural uh, capacity to produce this experiential, relational, intimate, real time, not future time, real time, now time, awareness of the knowing of God. There is nothing, nothing, nothing better in life. Jesus believes, Paul believes, I'm trying hard to believe than this. My, my my devotion as I headed into centering prayer uh, this past week has been this, this centering prayer line for me has been, Lord, you are enough for me. And I wish I could tell you I believed it all the time. It's a struggle some days, isn't it, brothers, sisters? If I have nothing but you, I have no lack.
0: <clears throat>
1: That's why I need a spirit of revelation, not just of wisdom. I want to know that at the center of my soul. I want to know it. That they are shaped by that hope, because it's that power, not just the power to heal not just the power for extraordinary experiences, not just the power of dynamic encounter. Lord, please, more. Yeah? But what I really want, more than anything else, is that for this lively lump of clay to be formed into the likeness of Christ, suitable for the fullness of God. Can I be honest, I settle for the miraculous when that is simply a doorway into the wonder that God has got. One of my kids, uh, one of my students, sorry, preached this week on the difference between being healed and being made whole. Heaven came down, friends. I love my job. In that classroom, 10 of us had a revelation that sometimes we settle for healing and God wants to make us whole. So Paul prays that very same power. Look at it, verse 19b, that power is the same as the mighty strength, if you just think that God can't pull this off, let's be clear on this, it's the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. If he can raise Christ from the dead, I think he can do the same for you. There should have been an amen in there somewhere. (laughs) If God can raise Christ from the dead, he can do the same for you. That, brothers and sisters, is what he is doing for you. The problem is we don't acknowledge our deadness, and so we are not looking for resurrection. That's why we need a spirit of revelation. We need to see things as they actually are. He exerted in this power raising Christ from the dead and then seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, echoing what we talked about in the first part of uh, Ephesians, he does this numerous places, far above rule and power, authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the sake of the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That paragraph is an entirely different economic system, an entirely different leadership structure, an entirely different way of understanding and organizing the universe than we have ever imagined. You'll notice what he says here. He has, by raising Christ from the dead which is what he's working on in us, right? Into this knowing of him, into this experiential knowing of him, and raising, now he wants to go one step further. He's raised Christ from the dead. He's seated him at the uh, his right hand in the heavenly realms. Notice what he says, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And, and, and part of what he's saying there is that not just is that Jesus is the boss of everything. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords, yada, yada, yada. That, by the way, is true. Not future, now. Remember? This is John's vision in Revelation. This is not a future orientation towards which we long and pray for. This is a current reality. He is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. But part of what Paul is saying here, is that your understandings of how the universe works? The hierarchical structures that have developed as a result of your, uh, of our going sideways and 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 organizing our universe based on power structures of one kind, big over small, uh, educated over uneducated, one race over another race, one nationality over another, one gender over another, no 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 none of that is relevant anymore. He has seated him above. All of those ways of understanding and knowing how authority and power works, they are now irrelevant in the new economy that he is establishing here. Now, you need a revelation for this. Because otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to leverage that power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead to pad your 401k. You're going to use that power that raised Jesus from the dead to enable you to be a more effective boss and leader at home, at your place of employment, in the church, whatever, and Jesus is just saying, what are you doing? I didn't die so you could be better at at losing. I died so you could be better at living, right? Because the game is to restore everything to what it was at the beginning. Remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Genesis chapter 1 does not have hierarchical structures at all. It has an organic union. So notice what he says. Look at, look at where he's going. God placed everything, verse 22, under his feet, appointed him to be the head of everything for the sake of the church. Oh, the church is to now model. You want to know why church? Because the church is to now model the economy that God has got in place for eternity's sake. Hierarchy doesn't matter here. At least it shouldn't. Now, part of the problem and, and uh, it, 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 w- this is delicate for me, but part of the problem is we've taken biblical terms, pastor, apostle, prophet, etc and we've attached secular meanings to those terms. Pastor no longer means shepherd of the flock of God under the head. It now means CEO and boss. I'm sorry, but that's an old economy that God will not continue to empower. Why? Christ is above everything he's relativized everything. Everybody has a part to play. The church actually has a boss. His name is Jesus. Everybody else, take your place. Stay in your own lane. Do what he gifts and empowers you to do. Does that make sense? This is really critical for us because Paul's going to talk about this as it comes to marriage. He's going to talk about it as it comes to spiritual gifts. He's going to talk about it as it works itself out in our conflicts with one another. This is why it's so critical. He's going to argue later on, I've heard of your love for one another. He spends the last half of the chapter telling them, straighten up and fly right in your love for one another. The last half of the book. Why? Because this is really hard. We want to take all of this spiritual power and use it to embellish our current understandings of position and power. And he's just simply saying, no, I'm sorry, it's not your kingdom. You don't get a vote. You don't get a vote. So he invites us into this reality when God's strategy is not the redeeming and empowering of our hierarchical systems, but the establishment of a whole new way of being called the church. That's That's why church matters and why it's so critical that we get this right and model a new way of being, to be Christ. Notice he says, which is his body? For Paul, that's not metaphor. That's reality. You are Christ with skin on to your neighbors, to your community. This is, this, is, this, is, this is why he invites us in so many places, yeah? He invites us in so many places, not to come here to visit him, but to be him as you leave this place. That's what this whole thing is about. It's the empowering of you as part of and as the body of Christ or Old Testament image of God. They're not different. He's going back at the end to where he started at the beginning. He doesn't think there was anything wrong with the first plan. So he's going to take us back to that and invite us then in our orientation to the world. To let our little lights shine. To be Christ among salt and light present with people. To do the things that Christ did. Not here, there. The Spirit, Jesus says, has anointed me to preach good news. That's why we church. Because the world needs us. The world needs us. The world needs us, so we're going to pray for one another. Are you in? Now, um, uh, we we have formal prayer teams. We train people in prayer. Everybody's authorized this morning. All right. If uh, and I'm going to I'm going to ask you to pair up with one or two people. Right. Two or three people, and, and for those of you for whom this is awkward, that's okay. If you're an introvert like me, if I were out there, I would be sitting by myself or holding Judy's hand very, very tightly. Don't leave me. But I've left her, so she's on her own. But anyway, um, the, w- w- we're going we're to have a prayer ministry time later on. I get it. But I want, I want, I want, if you can, if you can have one or two people with you, and I'm just going read to these, read these phrases. It's a very short prayer. And I'm just going to ask you to repeat the phrase over one another. Would you do that with me? Let's stand together, shall we? And find somebody uh, that you can pray with. If you are by yourself and want to pray it over yourself, that's fine. That's fine. But I want you to pray for one another. You got it? All right, here we go. Listen carefully and let's pray together. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart heart may be enlightened in order, order. that you you may know the hope to which he has called you, that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Oh, okay. Short term memory here, apparently. It's all right. And that you may know his incomparably great power for you.
0: Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit Garden.Church.